0: Screw it, screw it, we're just going about comics. Welcome to Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics, the podcast where we talk about comics. Uh, specifically, this season we've been talking about the Fantastic Four comics uh, by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Uh, And this is a podcast hosted by Will Hines and Kevin Hines. I'm the second one of those, Kevin Hines. I'm the first one of those, Will Hines. Uh, We are brothers who loved these comics as kids. We um, are also hugely famous and powerful comedians uh, who perform and teach at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, myself in Los Angeles, and Kevin is in New York. And though we've never starred in nor wrote anything you've seen, Mm -hmm. We've affected all those things. We're we're behind the scenes powerful. Yeah, Um, We pulled the string. Anytime you laugh, we probably pulled a string that made that happen in a way. A lot of stuff crosses our desk uh, in a background capacity. And people do what we say without us having to follow up. Um, And everything we say and do is hugely impactful. Yeah. I keep waiting for us to miss on something and it hasn't happened yet. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the movie, The Mask with Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz. I'm the one who put the mask in it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That that was a good call. I was like, not enough's happening. Uh It was like about a banker meeting a girl who was dating a gangster. And then it just sort of ended. Mm -hmm. It was a 15 minute movie. And I was like, you know what? Um, let's put that pet detective guy in there. I still don't remember his name and, uh, the mask. And I think it'll work. I remember when uh, Bringing a Baby was kind of in pre production. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, Cary Grant, just like be funnier. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we should say we're like 150 years old each. Yeah, that's true. I remember when Charlie Chaplin was knocking on doors trying to get in something. And I was like, this kid's got, you know what? Cut the talking, I said. Yeah. He wanted to, he was a real verbal comedian. And I was like, "I that mm-hmm. I don't get. But you walking around is making me laugh. Let's just have you walk around slightly fast through a field. Yeah. It became so popular, no movies had talking for a while. They kind of, people don't know this. All movies had talking for a while. Then it went away for a long stretch. That's right. Anyway, so that's who we are. So we're going to talk about comic books. Kevin and I love these comic books as kids. We're doing a fantastic four season right now. The original run by Jack Kirby, which is 103 issues. And we are frankly having a lot of trouble trying to cover that much ground in a, yes at a reasonable pace. But, um, um but we're all at having... At this point, we've covered, I think, the first 24 issues and yeah. the first annual, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So, um, the Fantastic Four issues are really something if you're a fan of superhero comic books, but uh, we're taking a break for this episode. Isn't that right, Kevin? Yeah, we are taking a break, but I should say we're, we're getting into the good stuff. So, oh yeah, uh, it's a terrible time to take a break in a way. Yeah, this is right before the movie picks up pace. We're like, let's put a little, a different short film in, sort of. That's what that's, <laughs> yeah, what that's we're right. Doing. Yeah. But the thing is, before, so we're doing the Fantastic Four now, but the first season of this podcast, we did Spider Man. And we, in fact, the podcast was titled Screw It. We're just going to talk about Spider Man for that time. And yeah. so a lot of our listenership kind of came on board during our Spider Man tenure. And, that's right. Uh, and we've had a lot of, a lot in quotes, mm-hmm. of people. Um, asking what our opinion is of the new Spider-Man movie, Far From Home. That's right. A vocal minority through social media and email have reached out to us to ask us to talk about the new Spider-Man movie. So we're going to do that today. And then we're also going to read some of our mail that we've gotten, some of the email we've gotten, because this is the first episode we've recorded since the new season has started. Right. We, we had recorded like, I don't know, four or five episodes in advance. Then we started releasing them. All this email started coming in and then... You know, more episodes were coming out, recorded before we had gotten the email. So now we're doing a mailbag episode to catch up. Yeah, so that's what we're going to be covering today. So it'll be first half Spider Man movie, second half email, mostly about the Fantastic Four. Yep. Um. So why don't um why don't we dive into Far From Home, Kevin? Sure. Uh, so have Kevin, you seen it? I have seen it. <laughs> okay. Um, good. You are, in my opinion, fi- finicky. About Spider-Man movies, and in a way, you're never totally satisfied, although you will talk about things that you did like in in the movies that have happened, and -hmm. sometimes you'll like interesting things that are not talked about, like you've raved about the costume design in the otherwise maligned Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Andrew Garfield. Yeah, that's my favorite costume still hot take. So I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm more curious about your opinion than I am of my own for Spider-Man far from home. Did it please the impossible to please Kevin Hines? Well, so a couple things, uh, (laughs) to set the stage for my opinion. (laughs) Okay. One, if you remember when we talked about homecoming, which we also did a podcast episode about, I complained about like 30 different things. And then at the end I said it was probably my favorite (laughs) Spider-Man movie. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, And then people were like, you're being too hard on this movie. And I was like, I said it was my favorite one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And much like that one, I enjoyed this one a lot. I I think this was close to or possibly better than Homecoming. It's definitely in that same range. I enjoyed it as much. I still have a lot of the same complaints about this franchise. So I don't know. Some of it might be that I'm more used to. Like, it's the second one. So you're more acclimated. Yeah, I've acclimated to this take. I guess we Spider should Man. say this is basically the third um, f- uh, Spider-Man incarnation in the movies, right? There was Sam yes. Raimi's three movies, and then there was the Amazing Spider-Man duo movies. And now this is the new—the the Homecoming at Far From Homer is a new team. That's right. So it's like the third generation of them. Yeah. And it's probably my—it's definitely my favorite of the three. Uh, and I know the Sam Raimi ones are held— close to our hearts yeah um, everyone but I think these are better and I do have complaints about them there are things I liked better in the Sam Raimi ones Um, but for the most part I enjoyed these movies more I find them closer to what I want from Spider-Man so overall I left the movie feeling very very happy oh nice and I enjoyed it a lot Um, though and we'll get into it a little bit but my complaints still stand did you see it alone or with somebody I saw uh I have a friend who works at Marvel and he gets a friends and family ticket. So I saw it a couple I saw it a week before it uh premiered actually. I saw it before because it came out like uh the fourth of July weekend, I think. Yeah, July second. I saw it like the Thursday before that. Ooh, girl, that's very impressive. Yeah, and then I had no one to talk to about (laughs) it because no one else had seen it. Yeah. But I didn't get spoiled on stuff, which I like. Yeah. Um and there are spoilers in this movie, and we are sure. going to spoil that, right? We're going to, well, I guess we'll say before we go into spoil, yeah, spoiler town. Um, so, what did you think of the movie, Will? And I have a surprise, I feel bad about this, but I didn't love it. But I, th- I think I must just have been in a, a mood. Sometimes, sometimes you go to see a movie, and just for whatever reason, you're just not up for it. And I, I don't know why that was, it, uh, it was two days after DCM. So we should, so Kevin and I do improv at this improv theater called the Upright Sinister Brigade Theater. Once a year they have a, a festival, which is like, I don't know, 96 hours, nonstop comedy at the, at that, at the theater. Um, and, and I'll, and I stay up all night, at least one of the nights often two, cause I love the late night shows. So that, and that means I'm tired uh, after that weekend as I'm because I'm old and I'm a human who needs sleep. So I saw it Tuesday after DCM and I wonder if I was grouchy because I could see that it was a well-made movie and I really loved Homecoming and I and I really loved so you know and this movie isn't terribly different in terms of style. But I was watching this movie and enjoying it and then in the last act I was like I turned to the person I was going with, and I was like, "Is this movie stupid?" <laughs> <laughs> and I like it. Just it, it. I was just not taken in. It, it wasn't even that I disliked it. I just found myself sort of antsy and kind of like bored, and and I couldn't tell you why because I think all the actors are great. Um, there's nothing in the story that I, I. There is one thing I can point to. I think I can explain it, but I, I have to wait till spoiler territory to get into it. There, the, the villain. The mechanics of the villain, I think annoyed me a little, not, not I the loved, I loved it. Okay. Not the acting of the villain. Sure. I got that. Um, not the casting. I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was uh great, whoops. And, um, small spoiler <laughs> gonna come by this point. I think that's been, that's out of the bag. Hopefully yeah. for most people, sorry, I didn't even, who are listening to this podcast. I would at least, and, um, but I, I got it. I got annoyed. So, um. I don't. I was, and, I'm, and usually, Kevin. I think between the two of us, I'm easier to please than you. I think. Yeah, you liked the Doctor Strange movie, which is garbage. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I. Lo- but again, I saw Doctor Strange the day after Donald Trump got elected, and I'm a super lefty liberal. You know, a v- super depressed that Donald Trump had gotten elected. I went to see Do- uh, Doctor Strange, and I was like, "Please take me away. Take me away from this world." And I loved it. So sometimes you know it is the mindset you go in with I think that the movies yeah, uh, there's no budget story, that can change that. I've told you this story before but we you and I saw Stripes the Bill Murray Harold Ramis war movie. Yeah, on TV uh, or something. I we rented it I mean at yeah. some point. Yeah. And we watched it and we both loved it. We thought it was ridiculous and stupid and hilarious yeah. all at the same time. Well, John Candy and we quote still we still quote John Candy. That's right. Is there a film on this ride? a bus? Yeah. <laughs> Where, is there a film on this flight? Is there that what movie? He says? I don't even know. I quote it wrong, I guess. Yeah. Get it? Just anywhere in the gist makes me laugh. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So then I love that movie so much. I went back to college and I was like, "We got to see that. We everyone's got to see this movie with me." Yeah. And ever and the people I watched it with hated it. And I was like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, it is. This movie's terrible. This is dumb. It doesn't make any sense. It's all the plot's all it over is the place." It's funny when you see a movie with new people and you see it through new eyes, and all of a sudden an aspect of it you didn't realize is so apparent to you. But then the next summer, I think I watched it again with you going, I, mean, I think this movie's bad now. And you're like, oh, let's watch it again to see. And we loved it again. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what I think of that movie. I think I love it. So I I can't. I, I think this movie is, should not be blamed. But I but I honestly was bored. I love the kid. I love the personal stuff. And I didn't love the superhero stuff. I mean, um, I don't really like uh, the Ant-Man movies that much. And I love the actors in that, those movies. Yeah. Yeah, and, so. I feel, and I love Paul Rudd in the Avengers movies he's shown up in, and I just don't know why, but I watched the Ant-Man movies, both of them, the second one more than the first one, and I'm just sort of bored. You know, it is interesting how much the Sam Raimi movies have become revered. I guess not. it's not a surprise. They were huge hits. They, they were the, sort of preceded this whole current movie renaissance we're in, where there's e- eight superhero movies a month. Yeah, they were the first of sort of the modern Marvel movies, even though it technically wasn't Marvel, it was Sony, but like, you know, a successful big, big scale Marvel movie, Marvel character movie with great special effects. That's Sam Raimi, and you know, so people and and the first two at least are quite good and the third I think even is has good parts. So it's like Yeah, people, Just are for really people who are listening, we have an episode of our podcast in season one where we discuss all the movies sort of in yeah. mass. Um, it's funny, but but Sam Raimi, the movies have, but they were always sort of, they were never a hundred percent beloved. People were, in my memory, were always like kind of poking holes in it and sort of criticizing this aspect or that that aspect. Yeah, but they actually was pretty close to beloved, even though I think there are huge flaws in it. Um, but it, it was but for it's a become long time beloved. Considered the best. People people have an affection for it that is big. Yeah, like you sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of gone up in people's minds, I think. But I think, I, I think that Tom Holland is the best Peter Parker we've seen. They're, they're, they're all quite good. I actually liked Andrew Garfield's performance too, even though the movies yeah. are bad, but I think Tom Holland is the best that, that we've seen. Yeah. There's think he brings things to Spider-Man that we haven't seen before that I really, really love. Um, I have nitpicks about it, but it's not him that's doing it. I think there's some, um, why don't, why don't we get uh, into spoiler territory yeah. so we can talk specifics? So if, sure. if for some reason you don't want to hear anything about the movie, you gotta you got to tune out now. Yeah, and I guess you just don't get to hear our mailbag. You don't get to hear the email. That's the penalty for being a spoiler sissy. You go see the movie, come back, listen to this episode, and then hear us talk about things one specific person asked us. I'm sorry I said sissy. That sounds like a bully word. I just couldn't think of another alliterative to go with spoiler. They're uh, wastes. They're <laughs> milksops. <laughs> yeah, you're a bunch of milksop cowards who haven't seen the movie yet. Get out there and do it. <laughs> All right. So let's let's spoil it away. So Kevin, give me your give me your detailed analysis. Okay. So my complaints in the first movie. I'm gonna go back to that again. Okay. Homecoming. Were largely that I didn't care about Iron Man. And there's and he, a lot of there's a lot of Iron Man and Iron Man technology in that movie. Yes, and I really didn't like the Spider Man Iron Man suit with all the tech stuff that a lot of the comic relief of that movie comes from. Right. So I got really bored with him, like messing up with his suit and trying to make Tony Stark like him. Okay. He's never. I want Spider Man to be his own hero. I don't want him to be Tony Stark's apprentice. Um, and then a little bit, I also didn't like. I felt like he. A lot of Spider-Man's early parts of that movie, he sort of is failing. Yeah. He's not a successful superhero. And I like my Spider-Man to be largely successful. All right. Funny, but successful. Uh, again, probably my favorite Spider-Man movie <laughs> at that point. <clears throat> uh, and so this one. And then Michael Keaton was a great villain. And, and Michael Keaton villain. was unbelievable. I do think the scene with Michael Keaton in the first movie, uh, when they're sitting in the car going to prom. Yeah is not nothing in this movie comes close to that scene. That is an, an awesome sequence for sure. Yeah. And that is probably why homecoming is a better movie just for that alone. Interesting. Cause far from home doesn't have that scene. Uh, but if far from home still has some of those things I don't like, even though Tony Stark is dead. Yes. That's uh, a lot about living up to his legacy. It's a there lot, are jokes a lot with, about that. A lot about that. There's uh, a lot of, Jokes with Tony Stark tech, because uh, Spider-Man is gifted these glasses Yeah, from Tony Stark that, like, have super AI controls. Yeah, they're like super he, Google Glass. Yeah. And I sort of was bored when, like, Peter Parker is, like, m- messing up using those. Right. I just don't care about that. I don't like him having that sort of tech. And if he does have it, why he's so bad with it doesn't make sense to me. Right. He's like a tech genius. Yeah. Um, so that stuff All bothers me. But that being said, those storylines play more into the overall plot of this movie, where I think the Spider-Man suit in the first movie doesn't really play into the vulture fight much at all. Yeah. It's just like you make some jokes with it and then it's then it's not involved. Yeah. And this one, the glasses are a primary plot point. So it doesn't bother me as much. Um. What would you think of uh, Mysterio? I loved Mysterio. Right. Now, well, y- you and I are Ditko fans, and huge. I recently posted a clip on our Instagram where you and I talk about how Mysterio won't be in the movies. Right, right. <laughs> Um, you it's, vehemently saying that, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I laugh in agreement, and I like to hope I was going to argue with you but didn't, didn't see the point, but maybe, I don't know. Because I, I was so sure. Um, I guess it, maybe I should say here that my instincts in Hollywood have proven to be wrong almost every time. Like, I don't know what, I don't understand anything. I mean, Mysterio just looks so insane, and the idea of a stuntman using practical effects just seemed too stupid to translate. Mm-hmm. And, and I yeah. didn't think that his personality in the comics was anything interesting. Um, yeah. But, but I don't but, think any of that stuff necessarily needs to make it through to make it that character Mysterio. They they did an impressive update of him. They, they found a, a way to do Mysterio that works in the modern world that I, that, that is impressive. So a couple of things that are true about Mysterio in this movie is that there are huge chunks of that costume that are right off the Ditko design, the cape, the gauntlet and the helmet. Yeah. They were, they were very inspired by Ditko, and, and it did look good. I mean, did, Ditko stuff always looks good, and, and the design looked good in this movie. Yeah, I watched a little video about how they tried a lot of different designs, tried to make it like look more modern, more current, and they just kept going back to Ditko stuff because it just didn't work any other way. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. So his look was so great. Um, I really... I mean, I went into this movie knowing that Mysterio was lying, that he yeah. was not a hero. The story is that he seems to be a good guy. Then it turns out that it's all a ruse and he's really a bad guy. And I was just waiting for that um, coin to flip that um, that revealed to come out that he was not good. You were waiting Can for I, that penny to drop. Can I suggest that's, the, yes, that Yes, that that's it. And when it happened, I was so excited. I started like hopping up and down in my seat. I'm like, oh, here we go. Um, and it's a really fun exposition scene where uh, Mysterio has gotten the Tony Stark glasses from Peter Parker. That was all he really wanted. And Peter leaves and this illusion bar that they were sitting in, this bar was all an illusion filled with just Mysterio and a couple of his cronies. And then Mysterio like toasts each of the people there and reveals like how they did all the things earlier in the movie Yeah, Uh, in like a really fun way. He's like, and you're the one who built the technology that did this thing. And you wrote the lines of dialogue and you convinced so-and-so of this. And I thought it was a really cool way to have a villain explain his plan in a way that wasn't stupid. Yeah, it was entertaining. Yeah. Uh, I I loved that scene. I thought that scene was so funny. I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was so great as an actor. The turn from Jake Gyllenhaal from like, you know, square-jawed hero to like, arrogant um, uh, egotist. <laughs> those are yeah. maybe the same words, but just like it was so funny. It was great. Um, it it was really a satisfying turn. And um, yeah, toasting all the team was so funny. I think even giving him a team was a really funny idea to me. It's like having all those people that worked with him. He kind of was like a Silicon Valley villain. Yeah. Um, in a, in a funny way. Um, now, okay. Here's what bothered. I I loved all that. Um, what bothered me was, although I thought I I was both impressed by, but also bored by the illusions. Um, so in the comic book, Mysterio is a stuntman and because of his knowledge of practical effects on movie sets, he creates all these illusions that fool Spider-Man. And, you know, so he'll do things like, he'll he'll just basically confuse Spider-Man, like, you know, make it seem like a tragedy's happening when there is no tragedy. You know, uh, using disguises and stuff kind of show up in weird places. Um, There's a famous fight sequence in the comics where, Spidey has tracked him down to an abandoned warehouse and there's rooms that are upside down and Spidey worries that he's going crazy. Right? Yes. Now, of course, none of that would work in a movie because it just doesn't look plausible that these things would fool anybody. And it's like so big deal. A room's upside down. You wouldn't assume you were insane. But what they do in the movie, and I do think this is smart on paper, is like, well, there's holograms and drones that are giving 3D virtual reality illusions so that Spider-Man really doesn't know what's real and what's not. It it is confusing. And there is real threats, like these drones are blowing things up. Yeah. It's just making it look like maybe a monster is doing it or something else. Right, so when Spidey is in the victim of one of these holograms, he truly doesn't know what's dangerous, what is an illusion, is it somebody else in danger, am I hurting somebody that I can't see... It's a it's a smart update of the of h- how Mysterio does his thing in the comics. Yeah, I mean it's the only way you could really do it. I think is to have it. You have to make it so that Spider Man doesn't know what's going on to such a large, extreme degree. It can't just be, um, you know, a second Mysterio <laughs> shows up. Yeah. Um. But I um. For some reason, in all those fights. Even though I was, like, intellectually noting, like, huh, that is a smart way to do Mysterio. He doesn't look stupid. He looks good. This seems funny. Jake Gyllenhaal is good. These guys are good. And I was like, yeah, but I'm so bored. Like, there. it's just like I know that Spider-Man's going to just punch through all – for some reason – I mean, this happens in a lot of Marvel movies where I'm actually engaged for two-thirds of it. And then when they get into the big ending battle and everything's shooting each other, I'm checking my watch. So, did you have a problem with when he was fighting the elementals? I just barely was interested. I, I, um, I, here, oh, I, so loved, it's not just the last battle, it's all the battles, It's me. all the battles. It's all the battles. I loved the kid stuff. I loved the, when Peter Parker is hanging out with Mary Jane and Ned and everybody, I, I loved all that. Um, I like the actors. Yeah. But, I loved all that too. Though I weirdly felt like I wish there was an early action scene because I felt like it was so long. Um, before, before anything it got really going. got, before any yeah. Spider-Man action got going, I think back to um, a uh, when I saw Spider-Man three, which as largely disliked. Uh, uh, Peter Parker doesn't wear the Spider-Man costume for like the first half of the film. Mm. He does. There is some action sequences where he's running around as Peter Parker, and uh, and then like about halfway through the movie, they show Spider-Man like put his mask on or something. Yeah, and a child sitting near me goes, oh, he's Spider-Man? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, they didn't tell you in yeah. this movie. Uh, and this movie does show him pulling his mask on and off at, like, the um, charity event. Right. But it's like, we're not there to see Peter Parker. We're there to see Spider-Man. I love all the Peter Parker stuff. Yeah. But give me a little taste of Spider-Man 1st yeah, yeah, And there was a scene, I think, that got cut because it's in the commercials where he's fighting mobsters in New York or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, I, I changed the topic. You liked the kids, you hate the action. I hate the action. Um it just didn't well, grab me. I, I I don't I don't know why. Like maybe maybe the early action I thought was okay, first the elementals. Um again, I was a little disappointed that Peter Parker or Spider-Man rather was mostly seen not doing that well while Mysterio was doing. I mean, it was all an illusion, I guess, so there was a reason behind it. Yeah. But it seemed like a lot of the laughs were coming off of Peter Parker wearing a silly costume or uh, trying to catch up and save, you know, he's saving buildings and uh, from falling and stuff like that. But I wanted more Spider-Man making jokes versus like being the joke, yeah. but it was all okay. But I thought once the reveal came out, once Peter realized Mysterio was all illusions, they had him reeling for so long, like he never had a chance to catch his breath. Yeah. That I bought... This, like, he never had a chance to stop and just go, all right, this is all fake. What do I need to do? Right, right. They were coming at him fast and furious, so it's plausible that he could just be overwhelmed by it. The moment he realizes what's going on, he's in danger. His loved ones are in danger. He races off to find Nick Fury. And from that moment on, it's never... He's never sure what's real up until he gets hit by a train. (laughs) Right. It, uh... It might just be, um, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think trying to parse my own dislike of yeah. the movie is dumb because every single person I've talked to has loved this movie, like varying degrees. It's just how much they like it, you know. Uh, you know, my comic book fan friends, my who who people, fan, my friends who don't give a crap about comics are all like, oh yeah, fun, fun movie at least, uh, and people are really pleased by it, so. I think yeah, it's, I mean, it, 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 you must have this experience too, Kevin, like, and I'm sure anybody who's like a long time fan of Spider-Man in the comics, like the, as the Marvel cinematic universe evolves, like things that are true in the MCU are more and more different from what's true in the comics. Mo- most, most obviously the importance of Iron Man, like because of the success of that movie and how great Robert Downey Jr. has been, he basically is the number one Marvel character in the MCU. That's right. And so everything is in terms of him, whereas that certainly was never true in the comics. Spider Man and maybe Wolverine were like sort of your your central points, you know, and then the X Men in general. Yeah. Uh, and then like the Spider uh, uh, Worlds were, were kind mean, of like your Marvel tent poles. If you know, anything, we were I- growing up, I would have put Iron Man after Captain America, even. Yes. And, like, so- he would and maybe like- after Thor. Definitely. I think after Thor, uh, Iron Man was low on the list of, I mean, some people really loved him, but he was low on the list of like impactful characters. Um, so like, and then also the presence, and this is just a fact of the times, the presence of tech, maybe yeah. because of Iron Man, but also maybe just because of the times we live in, you know, and how much like smartphones and technology is a part of our lives, there's just, every superhero is gadget heavy. They're all, they're in a way they're all Batman. They all have like utility yeah. belts essentially. And like, um, and I guess maybe they have to, for that to be plausible for the audience. But you know, the other thing it's, I'm doing is I, you know, ever since I got the PS4 video game, uh, you know, I've, I've continually played it. I've never stopped playing it. I have a problem. I'm sort of playing it again just cause now you can play with the new movie costumes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I just, I just did it with the far from home costume. Um, and in the video game, you're in New York city, you're doing tons, you know, it's, it's more action than story. So you're doing tons of battles and the, the fight mechanics in the game are so good and satisfying that I think the movie suffers in comparison. I missed New York city. I missed cool web swinging and I missed sort of like emotionally loaded punches to the face (laughs) I mean that's a weirdly specific thing to miss but like that's such a big part of the comics it's like you know Aunt May's threatened and Peter takes it out by punching Green Goblin in the face or something like yeah in this movie he's just like he's rendered powerless by these holograms in London and I'm like, give me New York, baby. But I don't know. Maybe, again, everyone loved this movie except for me. So I'm Well, crazy. a cool thing about that I, um, someone pointed this out to me, I read it somewhere, is that the first movie isn't really in New York City either. It's mostly like. Yeah, it's, it's in DC and it's on the road and stuff. Yeah. He's like out in the boroughs a lot. Um, he's, there's not a lot of stuff in like Midtown Manhattan oh, where you expect. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you're right. I and then this movie is all in Europe. But the end of this movie, uh, he swings around New York. Yeah. And it's great. And it's the first time we've really seen him do that in this in and his his franchise. And I read something where they're basically saying like, "Yeah, now he's that. Now he's at that point that he's been in all these other movies." Oh, interesting. I mean, I yeah. love I, I when when he swings around New York at the end of Far From Home, I felt like a rush. I was like, Woo, yeah. I love it." When I we I put together at some point on our Insta page, um, clips of all these web slinging scenes from all the different movies that I love. Yeah, and there wasn't one in Homecoming. Like oh. there wasn't really one. There was like one where he swings around like Queens stopping bike thieves and stuff, but it wasn't like all these other ones had just like thrilling, just watching a guy swing through skyscrapers. Almost just skyscrapers. indulgent swinging for swinging's sake. Yeah. I mean, and certainly Spider-Man, Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man had that. has a great one. And the first Spider-Man has a great one. Uh, and the second Spider-Man also has a great one at the end. I don't know. Maybe it's as simple as I was tired and I wanted some more web swinging. That, that, that could be the answer to my grumbles. I mean, I for sure. Yeah. I, I for sure wanted. I just heard Hopi. It stunned me. Uh, yeah, I my, for sure wanted more. My cat is only interested in me when I podcast. Yeah, I, I my cat right now is sleeping behind my monitor, <laughs> shoved up against it. Um, I I definitely. I always want more web slinging. I want fewer gadgets. I want more just pure Spider Man. Um, and that's not what we're getting in this franchise. Yeah, but we are getting like, good good actors and are getting good, good personalities, we're getting good, good, good humor. Yeah. Strong characters. And we're getting Ditko villains that I think people never thought could carry a movie. That's true. Vulture. They are There's a main villain. Yeah. And they're modernizing them really smartly. Even when I imagined making a Spider-Man movie, I was going to throw Vulture away as like an opening scene villain that you wouldn't really see again. Because it's just like, yeah, he wouldn't be able to hold together a whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. But he did. He was he, great. He and did. And Mysterio was great. So That's true. Uh, These guys are great. I'm being a grudge. I'm... I'm also Should open to about- act in any of these movies. If these guys are listening, I'm ready to do it. They only want fans. <laughs> I blew it. <laughs> they were about to cast you, and then they heard this podcast dropped, and then they're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Um, let's talk about the the very end um, teasers. Okay, yes. Double Did spoiler. Think- yeah. So uh, if you've watched the movie but didn't stay for the end— <laughs> Um, I mean, go back and watch the movie. I guess you missed part of the movie. Um, all right. So, so the first spoiler is huge, right? Yeah. And I thought it was great. Uh, mostly one thing they have, uh, J. Jonah Jameson show up for the first time in this franchise. franchise and he's played by J. K. Simmons again, who did in the Sam Ramsey movies and was awesome. He was Perfect. And he was also perfect in the scene. And I was so excited just to hear him and see him again. I had no idea he was in this movie. Yeah. I grabbed my friend's arm and squeezed as hard as I could <laughs> <with> excitement <laughs> uh, because it was Jonah. And it seemed to be taking a bit from like the PS4 version. Um, it's a little more modern take. Seems like he's doing web videos and uh, conspiracies talk, but it was tremendously great to see him again. Um And Jonah has been fooled into thinking because of a Mysterio video that Spider-Man was responsible for everything Mysterio did. Right. And I love that because one of the problems with this franchise right now is that Spider-Man is an Avenger. He's accepted. He's accepted. He is possibly one of the most famous superheroes in the world now that uh, Iron Man and Captain America are gone. Right. Like, who's bigger than Spider-Man? Like Um, Falcon and War Machine, and and yeah, yeah, you're right. Ant Man and Thor. Who gives a crap? Like the only like Hawkeye's gone. Yeah, it's it's basically just he'd be the most famous superhero. He'd be the one like when when the chips are down. You'd be like, I hope Spider Man deals with this. And so you got by taking that away from him is great. I think. Um, But he also reveals his identity to the world, right? Um, huge at the very the very end of this the the sort of end of the movie proper. Although there's one more split there's one there's one more credit scene to come. Yes, it was re- he's revealed to be Peter Parker, and um, I think I was just exhausted. I was like Jesus in the last scene. Give me a break! Like yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a for real cliffhanger. I don't love that moment. I would have rather left it there, sort of, um taunting you the way yeah. that they did with the vulture knowing yeah in the previous film uh, because now I'm just like well how do they get out of this because if everybody knows forever it, it does sort of hurt this character in a way uh, and yeah, it seems that like takes away like his friends and such like what you thought was the best part of the movie and a lot of people love it makes that part so much harder to pull off although I guess his, a lot of his friends found out his identity during this movie well just MJ Jerry and Jane. Ned. Oh, yeah, Ned, Ned, already, already knew. Ned already knew. So just MJ. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. These, these guys have been very smart about, you know, yes. the implications of of crazy superhero stuff in the modern world. So they, maybe they have a plan. Yeah, um, I'm curious how they'll, they'll deal with it. And that, that's mostly what I was left with. I was like, what did they, how do they get out of this? I can think of ways. I mean, they're all very comic booky in the bad way of just sort of like... Let's just get, fix it and then forget it ever happened. Let's bring the watcher in baby. Bring the beyonder in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, well, okay. I mean, Good movie. For some reason I was grouchy. Yeah. Um, let's go to our I think, mailbag. I think it was really fun. And I think if you liked homecoming, there's no reason you wouldn't like this unless your name is Will Hines. That's right. I'm, I don't make sense. Um, Let's go to our mailbag now for our Fantastic Four episodes. We've gotten a ton of email, which is great. Yeah, we, we're not gonna be able to get yeah. to it all. We've gotten a lot. We're gonna just do. We're gonna do a bunch, but not all of it. One thing I wanted to talk about, just even before we get into the mailbag, is on Instagram. Someone pointed this out to me, and I didn't even notice it. Maybe you did. Well, uh, this guy with the uh, handle Tony Lab Seventeen mm-hmm. uh, mentioned that it seems like Namor doesn't mention Atlantis. He just says undersea kingdom a lot in those first few appearances. Oh, he doesn't say the word Atlantis. Yeah, it never says what his kingdom name is. And I went back and I looked and it's until I think... um, The annual? The annual. It's very vague. Oh, I wonder if that was on purpose. Just like an Atlantis type undersea kingdom or something at first? I don't know. It feels very weird. You're not worried about the trademarking of Atlantis, are you? (laughs) Maybe it's just like in the sixties Atlantis was still such a big thing in people's minds that you don't want to invoke it. Cause it'd be distracting. It'd be like having Sherlock Holmes be in the background of an FF story. It could, it could yeah. like take over or something maybe, or maybe Aquaman was a reason. Maybe. Yeah. But I'm guessing, I really have no idea. I never noticed that I've read these stories, particularly these early ones thousands of times, but in my mind, it's always, he's from Atlantis. Yeah. Um, so you didn't notice that either. Good. I, I didn't notice that. Myself. No, that's a good. good one, Tony Lab. Yeah. Anyway, so that was just someone posted on Instagram. We have an Instagram account, uh, ScrewItComics, so you can oh, yeah. follow us on Instagram. It's so great. Kevin is picking choice panels from these comics, and I, I love the Instagram account. And if you like this podcast at all, you will love the Instagram account, ScrewItComics. Yeah, and I, I try to repost them on Twitter as well, at ScrewItComics at Twitter. Our email is confusingly enough, Screw it Spidey. A holdover from our previous season. So yeah. screw it spidey at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, yeah, talk to us. So Kev, let's get to some email. So great. So we have this email that's a really fun one from Matthew Montgomery. And he asked a question I think I think he was asking a question he knew we would love. He says, How do you think the Fantastic Four would fare against the Enforcers? Yeah, he's Are the Enforcers simply too powerful for it to be a compelling <laughs> fight? <laughs> Uh, which is a great question and a hilariously phrased. Yeah. <laughs> the Enforcers, the um, C-level villains in Spider-Man, Ditgo comics, whose yeah. powers are Kung Fu, rope tricks, and being strong. That's right. Um, I think they would overwhelm the Fantastic Four. <laughs> I, th- I think they would have, you know, they're, they're perfectly poised. The, the rope trick is basically as good as Mr. Fantastic. Anything that Mr. Fantastic can reach out and grab, Montana can grab with his rope. Uh, yeah, the right. thing and ox will come to a. You know, that's a stalemate right there. <laughs> stalemate, both strong. Yeah, you know, thing is an earth elemental made of stone, and ox is a big dude. So I think like they would, they would, they would freeze up. And then, um, Fancy Dan, uh, you know, whenever whenever Sue tries to be invisible, I think his judo chop will give him like his karate sensibility will probably be able to deduce where Sue is and take her out. So Johnny storm is the only, the human torch is the only thing the enforcers don't have an answer for. Yeah. I sort of see him seeing this happening and sort of, sort of being scared, mm-hmm. kind of overwhelmed by the fear from the enforcers Fe- human and torch, you mean? abandoning his friends and family. Yeah. I think what happens is they take out the three of them immediately. Human torch is terrified and quits being a superhero um, because he can't, because he's like, well, if they took out the other three, what you know, what am I going to do? Yeah. Uh, then I see it being a twelve to twenty-four issue run of Johnny just being a car mechanic and the Enforcers ruling <laughs> New York City, um, until Johnny teams up with the Big Man, who is the Enforcer's old boss. And the big man helps Johnny make a plan smart enough. The big man, also known as Frederick Foswell. That's right. That's how I see it going down. But I think it's a great question. The enforcers would overwhelm the Fantastic Four. I do. I am surprised they never showed up. It would be a fun... I I wonder if they show up in Strange Tales just to take on the torch at some point. Uh, Because they're a group, it seems like... It's something that would have been thrown at the FF. They would be so horribly uh, outmatched. They did, like, do a lot of mixing and matching of, like, their characters back in those days. Just almost arbitrarily. Like, the Ringmaster just shows up against the Hulk or whatever. I think he maybe starts with the Hulk. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, like, the Ringmaster shows up to fight everybody. The Beetle goes from uh, the Torch to um, Spider-Man. Sandman goes from Spider-Man to the Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, but I, just to see Ox go up against the thing would be fun enough. Yeah. It would be fun to do it in a realistic way with FF, take out the enforcers in like four panels. Yeah. But like the enforcers are like cocky going in. Yeah. Like, yeah well, yeah. Ox, you you got to slow down the thing for us. He's like, yeah. no problem. Let me soften him up a little. Boom. He's unconscious. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. It'd be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, great question, Matthew. Thank you for it. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. Uh, great. We have. Uh, let's. See. This is Jerry uh, Canavan. Okay, he asks a bunch of things, but well, one of the things he asked us about it, is like, I'm curious if you'd ever revisit Planetary for this, mm. which is a version of the Fantastic Four facing off against another. Yeah. Uh, have you read, you've read Planetary. Yes. Well, I have. Yes. Planetary is a great comic book. On the, and 90s, the Fantastic right? Four are in it. Um, yes. The nineties. Is it Warren Ellis or is it? It's by Warren Ellis and John Cassidy. Okay. Uh, and it's about like um, a secret society of heroes sort of investigating Other heroes, which almost are all analogs for Marvel or DC characters, and like the villains in that comic book are basically the Fantastic Four. Okay, right. Which you don't meet till late later. Yeah, deep in the run. Um, It is. There's a lot of Fantastic Four analogs in comics um, that are because I think the Fantastic Four themselves are so strange that. People have, have different attempts of, like, modernizing them, and that's one of them. I, I really can't remember what happened in Planetary. I enjoyed every issue and thought they were beautiful, but I it's one of those things where I can't recall the mechanics of any of the stories. I don't know if it's just been too long or— I remember the early issues very, very well, but I don't really remember how it ends. It took a long, it was one of those books that had a lot of delays before it finally finished up. And I never really, I haven't gone back and revisited it in forever. Yeah. Um, The Evil of Fantastic 4 reveal, I remember being very cool. I think just like making the FF evil, they're these scientists, right? They're a team of like explorers with access to technologies we've never considered. They make great villains. Yeah, they make great villains. The 90s was really a, a real meta time for superhero comics, like Alan Moore's Supreme run and like this planetary run and even a transmetropolitan. There was a lot of just like people in comics being like, aren't comics weird? Uh, there's also, uh, this is not quite, I'm jumping off that. The Thunderbolts themselves are, you know, in Marvel is sort of like a meta turn. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of what Alan Moore did, a lot of what image did got very meta. For sure. Yeah. There's a great majestic series, which is uh, like basically a Superman comic, but at like pre-crisis power levels. Yeesh. Uh, Like the first issue is about him disguising the solar system. Oh man! By like moving planets and changing the look of things, it felt it felt needed after the '80s grittiness of like Dark Knight Returns and A Watchman and being so serious and sad. There was a certain levity to kind of making fun of—not st- wasn't making fun of, but sort of like uh, being skeptical of a lot of tropes was kind of in vogue there. Yeah, um, but the Planetary's villains makes uh, or the FF's villains, the Planetary reminds me of the Venture Brothers cartoon where there are Fantastic Four analogs and that too and the Reed Richards uh, type and that sort of becomes a villain for a long stretch yeah maybe um, Reed is meant to be a villain yeah and that, uh, um, that brings up a person who wrote us let me find it on my I have a, a list he actually specifically asked about this um, uh, let me find it where is it here we go um, uh, did he not say his name he wrote us a couple of times. Let me just see if I can find his name so I can cite him accurately. Um, I'm gonna vamp while you find this. Which is um... oh, here we go. Oh. John Bournes. <laughs> okay. No, no, uh, no need to vamp. Okay. John Bournes wrote us, and he asked. I'm ready about to vamp like, whenever you need it. Great. He asked about Reed being the most could be. He thinks Reed could be the most powerful villain in Marvel, and he's wondering if it's ever been done with a what if or alternate universe take, and it has been. Oh, interesting. I don't think you know this. So there was the ultimate universe. as Well, where Miles Morales got his start. Um, So the ultimate universe was sort of a comic that began to get rid of the backstory of characters. It started with just Spider-Man and the X-Men at first. Okay. And then they added their version of the Avengers, which they called the Ultimates. And a lot of the movie stuff pulled details from the ultimate universe because it was sort of a restarting of the Marvel universe with modern uh, mentality. Uh, but they didn't bring FF in until later on. The FF kind of came in later, sort of as like, now we're adding the Fantastic Four to the Ultimate Universe. And I don't know if they ever really had a good long run. They had a couple good storylines, but it never quite took off. And at some point, the Ultimate Universe got bad. And the storylines kind of got crazy, which eventually led to the Ultimate Universe not existing anymore. Okay. But one of the things they did in that universe is they made Reed be- go crazy and become a villain. Mm-hmm they either killed sue or did something i wasn't reading it at this time okay but reed became like the main villain in the ultimate universe by the end of that run wow and when the ultimate universe ceased to exist and they brought miles morales into regular our universe, regular into marvel the regular universe i said our universe but <laughs> the main universe yeah they also brought evil reed oh so he exists now in the marvel universe um And I'm looking up what his, he's got a name and I'm just looking up real quick. The maker is what they call him. Oh, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good name. He wears a helmet, so he doesn't really look like Reed very much, but he's a guy who basically in the ultimate universe, he stretched his brain to make himself smarter. (laughs) I love it. Like he manipulated his own brain so that he could be smarter than he already was. and He was already a genius. Yeah. Uh, But it also sort of that plus like his loved ones dying or being taken away from him, broke him in a very serious way. And he's been, there's been some really fun comics. It's a crazy character. Yeah. A Reed Richards from an alternate universe. Uh, but it, it, you know, just the idea of sort of a Reed Richards type, uh, really works well. And he was a villain to an Al Ewing comic called, I think it was called the ultimates. Um, and he was just the main villain in that storyline. And it was really, really, really fun uh, to have. Like, It's hard to beat him. Single-handedly, yep. Reed Richards can't handle a lot the way he's been written. Anyway, his name is The Maker. And That's good. And he'll be back for sure in the Marvel Universe because he, he's a very modern character, but he holds up. Kevin, did you see the movie Brightburn? I have not seen it yet. Have you? I did see it. Uh, Brightburn is basically an evil Superman. You know, like what if Superman mm-hmm. did not feel compelled to be good? That's, that'd be a bummer. I would say it was a bummer. It was like a, I almost didn't want to see it cause it was, it depressed me so much, but um, it's night, it was 90 minutes and a friend, uh, the review that I got from a friend of mine was like, eh, it's good. So I like <laughs> checked it out one night and, um, it's, it's a short, it's, it's a very surface version of that idea, um, with some really good sequences, but maybe overall feels a little thin and kind of dumb. But it was this it was sad but I it it was compelling I found myself thinking about it for days after which is like what would you do you'd be you're lost like if 12-year-old Superman just decides that he doesn't care about human beings it's over <laughs> Yeah I mean uh, if Superman was evil the DC universe is in big trouble it doesn't even get started Yeah um it was, I, I, I found myself surprised to be and sad to think about, oh, the, I mean, and, and there are, there are moments in the movie where it's compelling, where the mom realizes it and she's very torn with her protective feelings for, towards her son that she's raised. Yeah. Um, it was crazy. Um, but okay. So yeah, if Reed's a villain, I don't know, man, bad news. Stretching yeah. your brain, I love that move. That's yeah, that's that's definitely that's, a Warren. I believe that's a Warren Ellis idea. That's that's trippy. I love it. He gets a little bit into the um biology of each of the characters. That's fun in a way that I like. Seems select- unnecessary, I like But it's fun and ultimate. Yeah, yeah. Selective realism, as long as it doesn't spoil the fun, I'm down for. Yeah, and I and I forget some of the details, but it just sort of like explains. this. like it's almost like what you're seeing is like, um. The thing is Ben Grimm from another dimension where everyone is like that. Ah. Um, I remember in the, um, in the eighties, they came out with that complete guide to the Marvel universe. It was like in comic book form, but it was just text profiles of every character that had a summary of their history and their abilities. You remember the handbook or something else or the handbook, the handbook. It was like 12 issues at first. Right. And then like, um, uh, and Jamie Hernandez had some drawings in there. Weirdly, well, yeah. Hopefully, very... he'll make it. <laughs> um, but hopefully, anyway, he will finally I, I, put him on. Um, he'll get like finally a run on like Teen Titans or something. <laughs> um, uh, in in this handbook, they would sometimes do like scientific explanations of the powers. Um, like you know, quasi pseudo scientific yeah. explanations, and I remember for the Human Torch. They said, oh, the human body produces a uh, a material called ATP or ADB, and the human torch can make ATP, which is, I don't know, flame, the flame version of that thing. Uh, and it, I was learning in biology at, at that time, I, I might be getting the acronym wrong, but like they used a real acronym yeah. of biology and this changed one letter and said, Oh, this is the, you know, the, the flame version of it. I remember thinking that was groovy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do love that stuff too. Yeah. Where it's like, if it's just enough where it's like, if you know a little bit, you'll, you can be convinced of this. Right. Right. If you know a lot, you know, it's baloney, you know, it's baloney, but who cares? Um, all right. Any other, uh, emails or is that lots it? of, lots of emails? Okay. Uh, Jeff Brozowski mm-hmm. emailed us. He had a lot of things to talk about. Um, Um, But one of the things he suggested some segment ideas and we have plenty of segments, plenty of segments, but uh, I'm going to throw these out at you just to see, maybe we can do them once and see what you think about it. Okay. Uh, One is the ultimate nullifier. Great segment title. Great title. Something you would erase from the FF universe or from the FF canon. Ooh, very fun. I think I know already. Well, go for it. I mean, I... Well, you know, I was going to say the Submariner as movie director just because it was, but maybe I love that too much and I will take out, I'll take out Jeffrey Gideon instead. Okay. So Jeffrey Gideon, they never faced off against Jeffrey Gideon. Yeah. How about you? And, uh, what would I take out? Or how about just the whole ig- ignoring of the invisible girl? Like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the best thing to do would be to like retroactively make, make her, her first of all, make her the invisible woman right off the bat. Yeah. Give her force field right off the bat. I mean, that'd be the best use of it. I'm going to waste it. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And I probably will get rid of the uh, post John Byrne era um, of Human Torch marrying Alicia. And then she turns into a (laughs) (laughs) scroll. Yeah, that's a good one. That's so silly. Yeah. his other question is, WWHD, this is another segment idea, uh-huh. what would Herbie do? <laughs> so if you took out Human Torch and replaced him with Herbie, what happens different in that storyline? So I'm going to give you just a single story and you'll so just Her- tell me Herbie how it would go. Herbie is in the Saturday Morning Fantastic Four cartoon in the late 70s right. that Jack Kirby worked on. That's right. They weren't allowed to have the Human Torch either because of rights issues or because they were worried that kids would set themselves on fire. Hope he, it's, he has it's a definitely, It's definitely rights issues. It was a rumor about the okay fear of kids burning themselves okay um, but yeah so, they, so they, they they substituted they there was no human torch in that fantastic four cartoon and they had Herbie the robot designed by kirby yeah um and it was you know Herbie is dumb and is nowhere <laughs> as near as cool as the human torch so i love a, right. what, what Herbie do and then they put Herbie in the ff comic to sort of bolster the the um cartoon show yeah, yeah right. he did show up in the comic for a little bit and he comes back every now and then yeah Um, Herbie's like an acronym for something, right? It's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, Creators love that. Like Herbie's basically like a robot assistant of Reed's. Now it's just fun to have him in there. Yeah. Um, But he's certainly not an important part of the fantastic. What would Herbie do is a great segment idea. These are great joke segment ideas. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to give you just one storyline and I think you'll just have to remove the torch from it and stick Herbie in it and decide, uh, how they get through it? I guess I'll just stick with the ones we've read so far. Okay, yeah. Um, so let's do. I, I've got one. Okay. Instead of shaving the submariner's beard with his flame finger, that's right. Um, Herbie would um, you know, produce a new electric razor that had never been seen before. Shave the submariner, and then prof, and then patent it and sell it. The submariner would take it. Start a business with it and become a Lex Luthor like Atlantean villain, sort of like he'd invent the Mach Three Razor before. Yeah, yeah. He beats Gillette to the punch. Instead of bringing Giganto the whale or whoever that was, he would he would you know have an IPO and become a billionaire. Yours? <laughs> okay, um, I think. Um, let's see. So when the uh, Skrulls have to disguise themselves as Herbie instead of the Human Torch, I think they'd immediately be out. I don't think they could do a convincing robot. Like they had like little gadgets to make themselves look like they were on fire Mm -hmm. and then make themselves be able to like mimic the FF's abilities. But Herbie sort of was this levitating robot with all kinds of little gadgets. I think while they could make the gadgets, I don't think they would have the ability to have all the tech to simulate what those gadgets would do. So the moment Herbie showed up, everyone would know the scrolls were lying and then they would be shot on the spot by the <laughs> government. I don't think the FF would even get involved in that story. All right. All right. That's what Herbie would do. Okay. That's WWHD. I think in both these cases, uh, he's improved the fantastic four for the better. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we need more Herbie. Um, okay. I'm going to have a few more and then one big one at the end. Okay uh oh aaron kendrick asked us to talk about far from home we did that okay um cory Mintz wanted to mention that at some point the human torch says the phrase tariff oh yeah which is just f- funny slang yeah very stan lee trying to be cool um kevin i don't think you know this stuff this guy kevin uh bows bows One or the other Mm -hmm. Um, from Taunton, Massachusetts, asked us if we would do a segment and we're not going to do this, but what is happening in Strange Tales during this? And I've never read much of Strange Tales. Right. Have you? uh, No, very little. That's the it's being published the same time as the original Fantastic Four, but it features only the Human Torch. Yeah, I think in the very end it becomes like a Human Torch thing um, book. Yeah. Both of them are in it. But for a while, it's just like the Human Torch solo series. Did Kirby do it? He did a, a couple of early issues, but eventually it's a, it's, it, I think it's sort of a hodgepodge of artists and writers. Yeah. They farmed it out. Yeah. But I've never read it. I've read a couple issues of it, I'm sure. And that's about it. So I don't, I can't talk about what's happening in strange Tales. I don't have those issues. So I don't even, I can't even really, even if I wanted to do it, I can't do it. My impression is has, they're, they're pretty like shallow stuff, right? It's just sort of like fight of the week, just like torch just beating the crap out of somebody. The stuff is never mentioned in the Fantastic Four comics, we read, right? So it can't be that big a deal, though. The Beetle started there, and he became a Spider-Man villain. Yeah. He also asks about the Challenger of the Unknown and how they compare to the FF. Right. That's an interesting been question. Compared to them, and I've never read Challengers either. Right. That's a Jack Kirby property from the fifties where they're like a science team that expl I mean, it, it does sound very FF. Yeah, it sounds like the FF sans powers. Yeah. Um, that a good question that we are not qualified to answer. Yep, there you go um, We have uh, This is, uh, oh, this is uh, Jacob Koslow, who I believe has written us before mm-hmm. But I, may, I might be remembering that wrong um, he's, he's reading along with the FF He nice. never liked the FF much growing up I really sure. liked the first two volumes of Ultimate Which I talked a little bit about mm-hmm. But even as a fan of that universe, that fell off for me yeah. My only other exposure was some series in the mid-aughts That modernized the first six issues which I believe was the Heroes Reborn run. Okay. Um, he said, I, uh, I'm i enjoying the issues you're going over. I'm about up to 40, but there's something just not as exciting to read as early Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's missing the side characters. Flash, Betty, Aunt May mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, are probably, uh, uh, he says, we're probably just as flat as Alicia and not as strong as Namor. What's the missing ingredient? Like what made Spider-Man better? Than the Fantastic Four. Oh, interesting. Interesting question. Yeah. I, I have an answer. What do you think, Kevin? I, I don't have a good answer. I mean, I have... I have well, a guess. First, you know. Well, you go first. Well, this is a, such an obvious thing to say that it's almost useless, but it's like there's more humanity in the Spider-Man stuff, like the soap opera and the human drama is much more center stage. You know, Peter feeling downtrodden at high in his high school life, being bullied by Flash, being out of money. There is no humanity in the Fantastic Four, it is just a vehicle, especially in the early issues that we're doing right now, it is a vehicle for science fiction adventures, you know? So Ditko is kind of more J.D. Salinger and Jack Kirby is more like Flash Gordon, basically. And so it it doesn't date as well because like the sci-fi stuff that Kirby was interested in is more dependent on the time, you know, you know, the Fantastic Four came out in a time when we had not yet been to the moon, when there's no internet, and even the telephone is kind of new, there's not even color television. So, you know, Reed having like a video phone thing to talk to Namor and Atlantis is more interesting in 1963, and it it's nothing now. But things in Spider-Man, the human drama... That's evergreen. You know, a kid feeling left out in high school, uh, worrying about his sick aunt. You know, D- Ditko just had better instincts for for universal storytelling. And Kirby was more like a mad genius science fiction um, omnivore. So, I don't know. Yeah. I, just adding to that, I think no matter how you do it, like Spider-Man is human. He's surrounded by humans. And the Fantastic Four are not humans. They're surrounded by other superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. Like their their extended supporting cast. There's a few humans in it, but it's also like the Inhumans. Yeah. um, Kirby's genius was creating whole civilizations. He he, he wasn't interested in, at least during the FF run, human individuals. Yeah. I mean, he goes even further with that when he gets to the new gods and stuff like that. Yeah. Kirby wanted to make myths. Ditko wanted to make short stories about people. Yeah, and so I think yeah, Spider-Man's easy to relate to. I also think though, if you're up to issue 40, you're just getting into the best part of the Fantastic yeah, Four. Yeah. Uh where Spider-Man I think hits the ground running a lot harder. Um the FF really peaks right around probably where you are. Yeah. Um, so. the, the the best of FF is incredible. Like when Kirby t- is doing what he's doing, well, it is it is so special and terrific. I can't wait for it. Yeah, I mean it's it's big blockbuster action movie versus like small uh, local action movie of the Ditko stories. Um, So they're just very different too. I also think there's also a chance that like there's people who don't like Spider-Man and loved Fantastic Four. It's such a different type of book. They're really different. Yeah. Uh, A couple more, Will. Great. Let's Um, do it. So Tim Murphy emailed us. And uh, he asked a bunch of stuff. He gives me a lot of great hot takes, (laughs) um, but I'm going to skip those. And we're going to just talk about uh, this question for discussion. You can definitely sense Kirby and Lee feeling their way around in these first issues. Mm -hmm. How much of the silliness needs to be forgiven as they are pioneering a new way of doing this or are they really, I mean, comics existed before this. Yeah. I really wish I could be a fly on the wall in the formulation of these stories. How much thought went into it or was it moving so fast that these, uh, uh, that these, Half baked ideas. I think he means that these uh, came out as half baked ideas. Yeah. I don't want to be too hard on these as I know they're revered and understand the context, but I can't believe they were such a hit. No, yeah, yeah. Again, might be just because nothing like this existed before. And we talked a little bit about this, but let's get yeah. more into that. Why I, I love this did this question. book take off? I, I think the the what this guy is saying is totally true. It's like these stories are insane and like they're uneven, and, especially the early ones. They're uneven and silly. I would love to be a fly on the wall too, but I don't think there was a ton of planning. I think it was very much made up as it went. Um, I mean, I think they fussed over it more than they were doing other books, but not a ton. Um, and there's a lot of stuff left in the stories that you can tell are not followed up on and – tones change all the time so i i totally agree that a lot of it doesn't hold up and it is worthy of criticism the interesting question is why did it work kevin what's your take i think it's a couple things i think what he says here at the very end some of that is true there's nothing like this the finessing four are nothing like anything that the main competitor dc had in that they sort of bickered and fought and things weren't easy for them i mean even I know things were much harder on Spider-Man, but we're talking about this is the first one. So this is before Spider-Man was really big. You know, they already have like the sort of thing who's angry at the leader of the team. Yeah. you know, the idea that like Batman and Superman were friends at this time, like they didn't like yes, not yes. get along because they were so different. Like all the heroes were teammates. They shook hands and fought crime together. Yeah. And the FF, they were family and they still fought. Yeah. So that's different. And I think also, somewhat the silliness of it was probably refreshing. Yeah. I think you talked a little bit about this in a previous episode. uh, Maybe after Tim wrote this email, because of the nature of how we recorded them, but the idea that um, it feels real. Yeah. Even though, I mean, it's so ridiculous, but there's a truth to everything they're doing. Yeah. It doesn't feel like they're trying to. Convince us this is cool they're having fun writing this story yeah so it feels fun yeah that's, that's definitely comes through i think um i think yeah what you said is totally right the way i the way i might put it is um i i don't think it was planned but i think the, the basic answer is to understand why it's a hit is you have to understand the context of the times i don't think this translates right now but it's almost like dc comics at that time was the fifties was like the establishment and all of the heroes are basically like good cops who are honorable and they have a lot of integrity, you know, and they, they would never do anything wrong. And you know, the, the parody version of this would be Batman wearing seatbelts, which is just a joke in the show, but that that's kind of DC. And Marvel at this time is like the counterculture. It's like, is the sixties is like rebellious it, it's not really compared to now. Like we look back now and it's pretty staid. but compared to DC, it's groovy, man. There's like, <laughs> there's like, they don't look like they seem a bit rebellious and like questioning authority and they're breaking the tropes of comics. And the sense of humor is like a, it's like a wise ass. It's like having, I think it's the equivalent of like having like, We talked about stripes earlier, like having Bill Murray show up in movies, just this, you know, Stan Lee is, uh, he's really funny and he, and he makes fun of the stories that he's writing as he writes the dialogue for it. So I think there is, there's a sense of rebelliousness in the very things that aged badly. And it's just like, oh, this isn't following the rules. It's fun. And I think to like Marvel comics in the sixties is to say, I am a freak And I like stuff that's different. Um, uh, It's hard to imagine that now because Marvel's become such an institution. But um, I think it's the indie movie outlier punk rock energy which is there. And you probably can't undersell Kirby. Of course, yeah. Um, The the visual stuff is is the main course. Kirby had been making comics for a while, but this is really where he comes into his own. And even though... These comics, I think, look dated to us then. I think they were so powerful uh compared to like the more uh I mean, this isn't fair because d c has some great artists too, but the more static feeling of d c yeah, the Marvel comics really did feel like they were bursting out of the page and grabbing your face, yeah, uh, I think' it'd leading be the cool- your eye and telling you what to read mm-hmm. yeah, Kirby's style is so dynamic and forceful and fun. Uh, I think it would be like if you know the current Marvel the cu- current Marvel Cinematic Universe. Although it's very good, it, it you know does feel formulaic a lot. It feels safe. Yeah. So imagine some indie company came up with some superheroes where they were like really indulgent with like zoom lens, zoom lenses, and fisheye stuff, and crazy color correction. It's like gimmick filled, but it felt fun. You could imagine that they would, they could, they could find a little corner of the market that is their own. I think that's what Marvel Comics were. Yeah. I mean, it's probably in the way that like uh, Edgar Wright movies or Quentin Tarantino movies stand out to us so much. Yeah. Because they're so uniquely their own. They're joyful. They don't quite feel like other movies, but they definitely are movies. Yeah. Um, uh, Kirby definitely had some of that. I mean, getting Kirby and Ditko, that's why the Marvel universe, I mean, Stan was crucial and a huge important part of it, course. Kirby and Ditko, I they're think the, that's what brought people in. They're the pistons for sure. Yeah. That, uh, powered the engine. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Stan Lee just knew how to grab them. Uh, let's do one more question before I get into our final question that we'll okay. end on. Will okay. Um, I don't know how long we're going. This ended up being a long podcast. Yeah, I that's apologize. Right. That's okay. People can listen. Uh, uh, what I like about podcasts is they're passive. You want to turn it off? Feel free. Oh, Kevin Powell's also asked about the Dan Slott fantastic Four run. I'll probably talk about that at another time. Okay. Um, you, you like slot is Dan slots writing the current fantastic four comic. I like it pretty well. I don't think it's, um, I guess I'm talking about it now. So it just started. It's not, it, it hasn't grabbed me the way like the burn run did or the Mark Wade run did. I think two of the best non Kirby runs. Uh, but it's, it's very good. Slott's really a great writer. Um, but he also had a lot to clean up, I think, to start his storyline. Yeah. Uh, the, the Fantastic Four were broken up when his st- uh, series started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Reed and Sue were in another dimension. <laughs> so he had to like, bring them all back together, yeah. get all the pieces lined up. Then there was this like big crossover event going on at Marvel. I think he's just now going to start doing it the way oh, he, he also wants want- to do it. He also married Thing and Alicia, which I think was important. But like, it just makes it feel like these early issues are all setting up. Yeah, it just, it feels like he hasn't even gotten started yet with what he's good at. So I'm really curious where he goes next. Yeah. He's also doing Iron Man at this time. And I think his Iron Man has been tremendous. Um, there might also be a thing where I just, I like slots solo characters more than his team characters. But I feel like his FF run could be great. I'm, I'm just wanting uh, to get into it. He's certainly earned the right to find his way a little bit. We know how good this guy is, so. I mean, and these stories are good. I've enjoyed these issues. So if this yeah. is him at half power. That's, you know, he's still one of the better Fantastic Four writers there's been. Yeah. Um, that was not the question I was going to ask. Oh, David Saunders. Where is he? Here we go. Um, Spider-Man and Batman have great cartoons. Wolverine has a great audiobook and, of course, a movie. Various X-Men and the Avengers appeared in good video games. In what media, other than comics, are the Fantastic Four portrayed in an interesting and exciting manner? Wow. I think the answer is none, right? None. Yeah. They've never really been done well. Um, I read the Marvel Wolfman novel in 1978 or whatever, and I liked that. <laughs> the 1968 or whenever cartoon is okay, particularly for the time. I think it was a pretty good adaption. Pretty faithful. Yeah. Uh, that was the pre-Herbie one. That was with the full team. Yeah. Um, I, I've watched a few of them as an adult, and I still enjoy them, yeah. partially because they remind me of the comics. Yeah. Um, I don't know how well they hold up for like a new, I don't know if I showed them to my son, if he would care at all. Um, So I don't think they've ever, there's no video game that stands out to me. There's no comic book, but you know, uh, it's, it's tough. Uh, He also asked, what other mediums do you think would be great for making these characters come to life? And the easy answer for me is like an animated film. Yeah. Like Spider-Verse was so good and The Incredibles is so good. It just seems like, well, why wouldn't they work that way? Right. But I also think animated films aren't as big as live action. So I think if they really were going to be a big hit, they've got to have a good live action film. Right. Yeah, uh, they, uh, And this leads us into a question lots of people have asked us about, Will. Okay. Unless you have something you want to add to about any I, FF adaptions. I don't. I mean, the board game you played was probably the best adaptation. <laughs> I liked it. I mean, I was six, but <laughs> I was captivated. Uh, Six or seven different people have asked us how, what we think needs to happen or could happen or should happen for the FF to have a good live action movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask a few small questions, Will, and you can uh, fill in any answer to any of these or talk about this just in general. Okay. Uh, Jerry Canavan asked us um, or pitched something where, like, the FF were revealed to have always existed kind of in the Marvel universe. Like, through some sort of, like, we just forgot they were there or... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, Time travel shenanigans. Uh, Caleb Shiver, I might have, I might have, I might be mangling these names because it's my handwriting combined with names I don't know. Uh, Caleb asked about, um, who would direct it. He pitched Alex Garland, who directed uh, Ex Machina. Yeah. And uh, he wrote Jeff 20 Brozowski days later. I uh, had some ideas as well. What is this? Um, yeah. Uh, what would a full reboot be like? Just basically, a lot of people are asking us. How do you make the FF work? How do you movie? bring them into the MCU? Or if not in the MCU, how just how do you do it? Yeah. You've been taxed, Will, with making the FF a, a blockbuster movie. It's so tough. You have complete control. You can do whatever you want. How do you make that happen? What decisions do you make? Are there casting choices you think help? Is there a concept to bring them into the MCU? Or do you not put them in the MCU? What do you think? It's a tough question. Do you have, I have an answer. Do you have an answer on this? I do. I mean, I'm not sure of anything. I would do something stupid and not have Dr. Doom in the first movie. Yeah, I wouldn't either. He's too weird a villain. I think he's too weird and too important. A villain. I know you want to start with the main villain, but I think because they've made some movies, if they hadn't had any movies, I'd say start with Dr. Doom, of course. But I'd say like, let's get away from, he's a, he's a whole nother nut. He's to got crack. so many problems. And I think you could do it if, he's your main thing you need to do right but let's get the FF right first so I'd put all my powers into like just making the FF cool and not worry about having a cool villain yeah and I would probably do some sort of negative zone story I would do a negative zone thing too I think like they're better when you get them away from mundane life they're, they weirdly don't follow the Marvel formula you have to get them into mythic proportions yeah so I need another universe where I, you can literally blow up a planet and not have it wreck the MCU I um, probably do something where they either discover or travel to the negative zone. Um, and that's where they get their powers and somehow that leaks into our world. Yeah. And they have to like come back and fight it in sort of like a way that makes them famous, especially in the current Marvel universe. it might be perfect where we were just talking about how they the big heroes are gone. Yeah. And so all of a sudden this big threat happens unbeknownst, maybe their fault a little bit. But then these unmasked heroes show up and the human torch is so cool and the thing is so cool and Reed and Sue are so cool and they fight back these like otherworldly creatures I think they would become the premier heroes after the fact I don't my two models for the FF that exist are the Incredibles and Guardians of the Galaxy The Incredibles family with powers and they even have most of the FF's powers And then Guardians for the squabbling and and kind of bat fighting each other, which is a big part of the FF. Um, somewhere in there is the fantastic four. Part of the problem is I, the fantastic four were never done as cleanly as like Spider-Man. Like if you want to do Spider-Man, follow those Ditko issues and you're going to be close. Uh, the FF's goodness is spread out over several creators. You need Kirby's sk- stakes and visual design but Burn really maybe had the characters a little more human and and relatable. And probably other people have thought of individual stories that work. So their goodness is spread out. So, okay, my short answer is I would do Guardians as a family, but with better visual design. The one downside of the Guardians of the Galaxy is their powers are boring. Other than Groot, yeah. Like, yeah. Just like there's nothing... I don't even, like, what are Gamora's powers? You know, what does Star-Lord do? Like, the yeah, Fantastic it's a bunch four... of, like, guns and swords, and then Groot has some visual interesting thing going on there, but I agree with that. And But the Fantastic Four, the main strength that they've always had is they look awesome. Like, they look great. Any depiction, even a stick figure drawing of the Fantastic Four, to me, looks compelling. You know, fire, water, air, and earth. It looks great. So, like... You want a beautiful – I mean Guardians as directed by David Lynch basically where it like just <laughs> looks haunting and beautiful and compelling. So I, I know I want that to happen. I would have it focus on the science and the family. So it's like some sort of – the family is being threatened by an alien civilization in the negative zone. That's how I do it. And I, and you give that—you got to give that alien civilization – it can't just be like – Aries in Wonder Woman. It can't just be faceless yeah. villain. It's got to be like the scrolls. It's got to be like a good story. Like they have to be a persecuted people who are coming to like pod people, the human race to save themselves. Like we have to have some sympathy for them and that Reed is fascinated with. And maybe Reed saves the day by discovering another universe to put them in, you know, uh, or something like that. I, yeah, some, I probably, somewhere in there is is the the pieces of it, but it's hard. I definitely play up all their intellects. I make Johnny smarter, uh, maybe with just like playing up his idea that he can he builds the vehicles and stuff. Uh, Sue, I'd give some serious brains to, which I think they did in the most recent FF movie, and they do an ultimate Fantastic Four. I think you just got to make Sue. Uh, also I, a brainiac. I think you, wrote, you go ahead, Kevin. You uh, um, for and a while. I think Reed is just a uh, the, the yeah. You know, he's the best at everything, maybe in a frustrating way. Where he's they all have their areas, and Reed can do it all. Um, but yeah, they go into the negative zone. They're a family of smart people. Uh, some have found like you know Ben's not related to them, but he's a. Uh, they're our family anyway. Yeah. Um, and you know they're a life or death situation. They're at each other's throats <laughs> as as well as. You know banding together for this fight but when whatever happens when Annihilus and his uh, villains hit the Marvel Universe hit the New York City they, they put it all aside and fight well um, and uh, you yeah, uh, know in that moment they kind of become superheroes they become super famous uh, and powerful I think that could all really work. The Fantastic Four, I, I, they they're explorers. I, I think a lot of times they're called like a, almost a family first team. And I think the family part is important, but I think the explorers is more important. Yeah, I do too. That gets lost. Because okay. every character, like the Guardians are families. The Avengers they're, they're are, all are family. family. The, yeah, they're all, they're yeah. Uh, the um, difference with the FF is they're actually a family. Um, it's harder to replace members. Character wise, character wise, Ben Grimm is figured out. Ben Grimm, you do Ben Grimm the way Ben Grimm has always done, and he's great. Yeah, uh, I I make Reed more the emotionless robotic version of himself. That's not the way Kirby did it. That's how I would do it. And I would make Sue emotional. I would make that's her role is like she's the heart, and Reed is kind of the brains. Like Sue's the one who like declares war. Like it's personal to Sue. Yeah, and uh, I like some of that. I I probably keep my read with emotions. I like the square jawed Kirby. Like I'm not. I should be afraid of this. I'm just a scientist, but I'm not. I'm diving in. I I can't help it. And Sue definitely should be like the almost like the leader. Yeah, um, I think she should. It's like a mommy and daddy. Like she's she's the mom of the group, and she should she should be. You know, and, no soldier left behind. We and do. Johnny's not- a bit of a dash from the Incredibles, right? He's the one who's loving it. Yeah. He, he thinks the, it's the coolest thing being in the negative zone. He's the joy. Yeah. Um, and when he gets scared, you know, things are real bad. Yeah. So he sort of thinks it's all awesome and we're going to live forever. Look at us. Yeah. So, I think they work. I think they can work. I, I, taking doom out, I think makes it easier. Yeah. Because uh, then you can always bring doom in later. Yeah, I would have pod people aliens so that they are truly terrifying to the human race, but there, you can have compassion for them. That read that Reed will have. Yeah. So we solved it. Uh, we solved it. There you go. Done. Um, So, yeah, a lot of people were asking about that. I I definitely don't have cast. I'm bad at casting it. There's nobody that jumps out to me to cast in it or other than Will's suggestion of David Lynch. Uh, No director ideas that I really have. I sort of threw Brad Bird out because he directed Incredibles as well as a Mission Impossible movie, so he could probably do it. But really, those Mission Impossible movies are great. Maybe Christopher McQuarrie could do it, too. I don't know. Yeah, I i bet all my references are too old. I would have, like, Curtis Armstrong as the Mole Man. Um, <laughs> That's not a bad casting. <laughs> I know. I think he'd be great. I just saw him at uh, in Atwater Village last week. I mean, I don't know him. I saw him walking around. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned that you cast him as Mole Man. <laughs> I have rocked up to him and said, hey, you don't know me, but I on a podcast, he already was walking away. Uh, listen, I, I've cast you as Mole Man in Fantastic Four. Um. No, uh, I, I'm, I'm bad at casting. Uh, we It's a good question that I'm not ready to answer. Yeah. um, So that's uh, that's a lot of our emails. We've gotten a ton more from a lot of people who are just fans and just compliments. We've gotten some questions that maybe I didn't get to. Uh, some I've answered through email. Uh, So please email us, screwitspidey at gmail.com if you've got questions. And we're going to uh, continue to email us throughout. We'll... Maybe answer them throughout our podcast and not do a whole episode about it again. But um, we'll definitely try to get to everything. Yeah, thanks for emailing everybody. And I'm uh, I sorry. T- I let's get some uh, female fans <laughs> writing in. I I um I feel like uh, let's break these that stereotype. Of, the, these questions are all male. We've had a few females uh, email in. We got to sure. say female because in the '60s Marvel Comics, female is what you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like Amelia emailed us. Yeah. Uh, said some very nice things. Um, uh, she loves our brotherly chemistry. Yeah, it's it's overwhelming. Um, and there's somebody, Andrea, I believe we had. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that email went, mm-hmm. emailed us. Um, but so. yeah, so we've gotten definitely a few, as always. uh we get a lot of emails from men. Justin has emailed us a few times. Uh, a friend of the pod, friend of the pod, lots of hot takes. I'm not uh, down on the guys emailing us. I love it. I mean, I and I, you're down on it. I'm down on it. I hate men, and um and so, uh, um I'm against them. Um All right, but uh yeah, please. Oh, uh, we, one more. Shelly uh, emailed us. Um She's a huge, or maybe he, um. I guess I, I'm not a hundred percent sure of the name Shelly, but Shelly is a huge human torch fan. Ooh. And sent us, I, and I CC joined this some drawings. Uh, they've done of human torch and Spider-Man. Yeah. Together. Oh, yeah. They're great. Uh, they want to be our human torch correspondent. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I didn't know this knew all his middle names, Jonathan Lowell Spencer storm. I didn't know that either. <laughs> I, d- I wouldn't have known either of those. So. What a, what a blue blood family. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so, uh, Thank, thank you for email. we love emails. So please send yes. us any thoughts you have on comics of the Fantastic Four or on Brotherhood, and um, and uh, we'd love to read them. So and check out our Instagram, Screw It Comics, our Twitter, is Screw It Comics, our email, weirdly is Screw It Spidey, and um, I'm Will Hines on Twitter and Kevin is Kev Hines. That's right. So and we'll be us. back next week covering issues twenty five to thirty four. Yeah. And then after that I think it's 35 to 43 if you're reading along with us. Yeah. We're going to So get sense. reading. Get reading, baby. Uh, all right. Um, Kevin, good podcasting. Yeah, Will. Uh, we talked about a lot of stuff. And um, see you guys next episode. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. just going talk, talk about, about- comics. I'm Jessica Jardin and I'm Marcy Jarrow. We're the hosts of Kardashian it a podcast about all things Kardashian here on Campfire Media. The first family of Calabasas is back with season 15 of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. We're recapping episodes each week and covering a never ending news cycle of the rapidly expanding Kardashian universe which includes crossovers with your favorite rap and sports stars and this season we can expect family drama secret pregnancies the chloe tristan cheating scandal and cover up and let us not forget kanye's pre-album drop meltdown or kim's new trump allegiance hey even if you aren't a fan of this family their reach stretches to so many areas of pop culture you're not going to want to miss our examination of the ultimate celebrity phenomenon so check out Cardition it a podcast about all things kardashian and remember the devil works hard but chris jenner works harder Cardition it on campfire media Campfire.